just want to start by thanking you both for being here. It's always fun to have a team. Can you guys tell me what, you know, you're a writing team, but you also split the directing producing duties. Can you just introduce us to how you guys collaborate and like where it, you know, how much do you cross over and what do you hand off and how do you guys sort of split responsibilities from your writing process then to like, you know, production and the rest? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll start and you can jump yeah, in, Elsa. For sure. Uh, yeah. So just to give you a little bit of a background, Elsa and I have known each other for a very long time, <laughs> for like 20 over years. 20 years. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and we're good friends. So that really informs our relationship a lot in terms of how we work. We know each other extremely well. So when we write, I mean, we usually go uh, back and forth. I think in the early process, we do a lot of brainstorming together, synopsis stage, treatment stage. We're constantly together. And then when it comes time to writing, it kind of depends on our schedule. So for Slacks, I was on something that was crazy busy and Elsa had more time. So she jumped in and kind of did the actual writing or at least the the. the I shouldn't say the first draft because we had oh, a, no. a couple of other older drafts, but the first kind of current draft that became the film. Uh, And then we go back and forth reading drafts, uh, having notes and all that. And then in terms of production, Elsa really is the director. Uh, She takes on all those duties and I am the producer. I prefer being the creative producer, so I definitely like to do that. But I also do all the other kind of more logistical producer tasks as well. And on Slacks, I was uh, lucky enough to produce with Anne-Marie, who was a great collaborator. And so we really split those tasks quite well, which allowed me to have a lot of time on set with Elsa to kind of help her through the creative process on set. And you guys have worked on a lot of projects together, but not like in the same department even. Mm -hmm. Like like it's interesting. Like I want to know more about like, okay, so you both worked on X-Men Apocalypse, for example, (laughs) but uh, in completely different departments. So how the longtime friendship coincides with both working on major blockbusters, but but again, like not as a tandem. I'm really curious about that. Well, it sort of started like a bit by happenstance. Patricia um, was uh, a scientist or by trade. A scientist? Yeah. Yes. Wow. I had Patricia, a different should, life in my should, 20s. Actually, oh my you God. should tell your own story. <laughs> what oh kind gosh. of scientist were you? <laughs> I, was, I was a wildlife ecologist. I loved looking at animals and taking notes and then writing about them. Wow. So that's what I did in my 20s until I felt the need to go into film. I mean, it was something I always thought of, but it just didn't seem practical. And it's, it's still not. It never it's is. Not practical, <laughs> yes. And just and just to, to give you even more of a background, right? Like I'm an immigrant to Canada. My parents worked really hard. So there was always this expectation that I shouldn't let them down. So science was such a sensible career choice. And I did enjoy it. It's not like I hated it, you know, but I did like I I think looking back, I realized I was always interested in film, but it just never seemed like a viable career option. And I knew this would disappoint my parents horribly. And so in my 20s, I, you know, tried my best. You know, I, I, I went to undergrad, I got my master's, I was a scientist for a while, but I just kept thinking about stories and films and wanting to write. 
And then I had uh, a little oh, I wanna, a crisis. Sorry, yeah? go ahead. Yeah, no, go yeah. ahead. Keep going. Tell me about I, the crisis. You're going to yeah, get I, where I want to go. <laughs> yeah, because this is a, a huge part of, of where we're going to end up is yeah. because of this crisis is, I, you know, I was just like, I need to change my life. I need to do film. And so at the time, Elsa was on The Mummy 3 in the art department. And she's like, yeah, come, you know, I can get your job in the art department. But I'm like a total nerd. So I was like, I think accounting is more my thing and it fit more with the idea of producing. So she was able somehow to get my CV to the production accountant who called me and hired me. And that's how I started off working on these Hollywood films that come every year to Montreal. And that's how I kind of began my accounting career, if you will. And Elsa stayed in the art department. So that's why we are in these big blockbusters together in totally different departments. Got it. So, okay. So a couple questions. What were the things, and then we'll go over to Elsa. But first, what were the things in the in the scientist days and before that that captured your interest as to, to be a storyteller. What did what was the stuff that was like? I got. I really want to do that, even though I don't want to di- let my parents down. Like, what were the what were the things that were in your mind? The inspiration. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you. Just as as a teen, I watched movies like crazy, which I'm sure so many people did. Like, I rented all the horror films. I was constantly looking for like cool movies from interesting directors in Europe, and so. I already felt compared to my peers, I was just much more into this idea of like film and and the language of film and all the interesting things you could say uh, about film. Like I remember going to the movies with with my friends and they hated it when I chose the movie because it was always looking (laughs) weird and they wanted to see like stepmom or, you know, (laughs) cool intentions, which fair enough, they can be fun. But like, I was always like veering them towards like these weird, obscure things. So I think if I look back, yes, there was always that interest. And then as a scientist, you know what it was? And I think a lot of people might relate to this is I would get to the office at nine. By nine ten, I was already bored with what was on my screen. And I was thinking about, you know, stories or ideas that Elsa and I had. And, you know, and I just, and I was just constantly thinking about that. I wasn't thinking about the work that I had to do or what I, you know, and that's when I realized like I'm at work, but I'm not really at work. Right. And I couldn't imagine another 30 or 40 years like this of me, like literally, I'm not kidding, like 10 minutes in, I'd already be like, oh yeah, that poltergeist idea we had. Oh, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh shoot, I have this deadline for my boss. So I think those were the main things. And of course, always being interested in film, always trying to find cool things, you know, and just never quite being mainstream about it, but always kind of searching for things that are a bit different. And Elsa, that's totally her style of filmmaking, right? Is yep. kind of weird, unique. And that's why we honestly, as friends, like we get along so well. And as collaborators, we also mesh very well. So going over to Elsa, Elsa, how did you and Patricia, where did you guys meet? We met through mutual friends, actually, because I was in the arts and, but we had high school friends or I had high school friends who had gone into sciences, the dark side. And so they knew <laughs> Patricia and they just, you know, we just met at like parties or things like that. And then we realized we were both really weird. And then we were at a party. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> and yesterday I told the hospital boozer story because someone's like, how did you come up with your first? Oh my God, that's future? so true. Also, I forgot about that. Yeah, I still have the hospital booze. Uh, what is it? It's Let's like a... It, 
we were, I had invited a bunch of friends to like a Labor Day party. My, my parents used to live in the U.S. And uh, there was always these amazing yard sales around the end of the summer. And so Patricia came over with a bunch of other friends and we were like, I'm going to just like, I'm going to do the yard sales. Come on. And then we found this cheesy party IV, like a glass IV, where you're supposed to fill it with liquor and try or pretend to dispense it. And it's called hospital booze. And it came in this <laughs> cardboard box with like a sexy 70s nurse. And Patty and I were obsessed with this. I don't know why. And then in a, at a party later on, we both decided that we wanted to work uh, write a zombie movie. And a friend of mine had, had been telling me about some woman whose son had died and she had said her son was graveyard dead. And I was like, what if he was graveyard alive? And then we were like, Graveyard Alive, nurses, zombies, yes. And it all sort of came together in this insane way. That's sort of how we work. We'll have this ridiculous idea and then it'll like materialize into a film. Ridiculous idea like genes that kill yes. people? Yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah, George. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah. That's the segue. The um, but no, but that. like it's something that like getting the background, it makes so much sense. There's something about it. You can tell there's like a friend, funny, we think this is funny and crazy and fun <laughs> vibe behind this movie that like, what, what, what a weird high concept idea that's like playful, but silly. But like, so the more I hear about you guys connecting and the stuff you connected over, the more the pieces fall together. But also there's this cool thing I've already heard that like the arts and the sciences, like mm. you have this natural division of, these are the areas like film has an art and it has a science to it, uh-huh. right? That's true. Very That's true. true now. I mean, there there have been times where we're writing and I frustrate Elsa to no end because I can be very logical and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> and she's been known to throw pencils at me, right, Elsa? Just I, once. And I really Just frustrate. Once. Just once. <laughs> Thank goodness I ducked. So, <laughs> so tell me, I guess, a little bit about like you you've worked. You've worked in art departments a lot. And what was the thing like that got you? you? You've made some shorts together. You were obviously writing together, Elsa. But was there something that about this idea? And then Patricia, you can weigh in too. Like what, what got this one moving in this direction? And like, how did you see it through and, and you know, end up making the movie? Well, it took it took a long time because it did start with a very silly, uh, in a very silly way. We were on a road trip and uh, we were making fun of our other friend who had produced our first feature Graveyard Live with uh, Patricia. And we were were teasing her because she hated the word slacks. And so we kept repeating it over and over <laughs> like child, childish girls we were. And I don't know, it just sound, started to sound like an evil being. And so Patricia and I were like, oh, my God, it's evil pants, killer pants. Yes. And then it, it just evolved over three three rewrites over 15 years with like a seven-year span <laughs> between them. I can't believe. Yeah. It's just, I'm so impressed that yeah. you could, a joke on a car ride about killer pants, you could stick with it that way for 15 years. Like that's, that's I mean, so impressive to me of all the jokes with my friends that were like, that's a funny idea for a movie. I cannot imagine having the, the patience and the wherewithal to be like, I'm gonna make that damn killer pants movie. We're very, we're very stubborn. I mean, Patricia takes the stubborn cake. Maybe that's Excuse why I, I threw a, a pencil at her once. But, um, <laughs> but we're both very, we're like, we're very dogged when we know something is gonna work. And we just knew people were reacting really well. We we're like, we're writing a movie about killer pants called Slacks, and everyone was like, Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> so we knew there was something 
to it. And then the last draft came about because a friend of mine was like, what's happening with Slack? Slack is so amazing. Why aren't you doing it? And then I was like, Patty, we need to, we need to write Slack. We need to rewrite it. So we just set, set to task one more time. And we're like, we think the time's right now. Like the, the Quebec grant agencies had just become much more open to horror. The like whole like women in cinema thing was really shaking up. And so we just thought now is the time, you know, and it turned out to be true. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And the time, like, so tell me about, you know, taking a script from like, okay, we finished it to getting a grant, getting money for production, like, like, like actually the next step, you know, script, script to on set. Like that's a big jump, especially with an original title. Um, You know, how much did you have an idea of a projected budget? Did you go to financiers? Like, tell me, uh, you know, we have so many listeners who that's the big jump that they're trying to make. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it kind of happened fast. It's so funny. Like, the writing took a long time. But when we finally had that script, it kind of came together really quickly. And uh, we ended up being part of the Fantasia markets. You know, the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, it's a horror fest. Mm -hmm. We have a market. And so we were lucky enough to be a part of the pitch session. So as luck would have it, Elsa and I had done like a pitch workshop that previous spring because the, the, the horror market was in August. So we had gone to this workshop. We had learned how to pitch. And so we used all those tools. We created a pitch. And I can think you, we just had can a really just- good pitch. Briefly, can you guys just give us like, what are like a couple of the key tools you learned about pitching that stayed with you? Because oh, it's so like hard and there's so much. Italians. I'm just kidding. Our pitch workshop was in Italy and it's, we had brutal teachers. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. So you have to have people watch your pitch who are brutally honest and like make you cry almost. Wow. Because yeah. they, they don't, they're not there to make you happy. They're there for you to succeed. And it's really hard to be critiqued like that, but it's, it was, it was, I would say essential to getting us to that pitch. Yeah. And I think the key is concise, obviously, to put a little bit of the personality in, meaning like the background of this project and why it makes sense to make this project. And then to tell the story very briefly. And I I know this sounds very vague, but that's really what they told us. Mm. And then the main thing we learned is to practice a million times. Yeah. Really? I mean, and so we practiced. I can't tell you how. So it was semi-rehearsed. I mean, it was yeah, super yeah, rehearsed. rehearsed. Wow. Totally, totally rehearsed. rehearsed. Yeah, they said you can't go out and, and be charming and be all this. Like if you're really pitching in a, in a real pitch environment, you've got to be professional. And so they, they really yeah. prepared us for it because if we hadn't gone to that workshop, George, I'm going to be honest, we would have like been prepared, but not at that level where yeah. where you practice so much, George, that then you can make it your own. And it seems almost seamless and not rehearsed just because right. you rehearse it so much. You know, you kind of get to the other yes. side of it. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to be, where it seems so natural. And people are like, wow, it looks like you just got up there and spoke. 
Right. Hell no. We were practicing two weeks before and, yeah. and the night before we must have run it through like 20 times and yeah, forced my yeah. boyfriend to watch it like 15 and critique <laughs> everyone and, and, and all this stuff. So could he bring that evil Italian energy to his critiques or was he, <laughs> <laughs> he could bring, pick the accent. Yes. <laughs> but but, well, say, this is, so what's the name of the workshop? I'm just curious. Cause we'll want to drop it in. Like what, what, like it, do you, is it something people can attend? Still? Uh, no, it's called the Sir- Torino Series Lab. Hmm. And it's a, it's a European-based uh, initiative. We were there to... Actually, we were not there at all to learn how to pitch. We were there because we got into a, a series workshop. So we proposed the, um, uh, to turn one of our feature film ideas into a TV show. And so oh. it was a it was, um, program specifically designed to, to develop an... Um, TV concept at a very early stage and we had to apply, we had to, to submit, we had to like pay to be part of this workshop sure. to go to Europe. So it, it's too bad that they don't offer just the pitch workshop because it was truly sure. amazing, but it happened to be one of the, 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 key moments, the yeah. programs or one of the, I don't know what you call it, elements of the programs is learning how to pitch because at the end of the program, we pitched in front of a market, the TV market. But I would say it's not like, Really what you have to know, you had to do is it has to become a, you have to think of it like a performance. Yeah. And so we wrote the script. We wrote the script that we were going to say. We decided who was going to say what. Mm. And then we learned it pretty much by heart. And we practiced it so much that we didn't have to think of the script. It's like acting. You know? Yeah. And then you were off book and then you were freelancing yeah. and then suddenly exactly. it could become an art again. It's, it's really well thought through. Um, I'm sorry to detour like that, but it's just no, pitching no. is so critical that, I mean, go, so we'll go back to where we were before I started getting into the nitty gritty about the pitching. Cause you were saying the pitch was a big process. You pitched at an at event. the Fantasia market, Fantasia which is market. Yeah. the horror market, you know, and then we we caught the eye of Anne Marie, um, who was who would come on board eventually to co-produce with me. Got it. And she has she had done a couple of kind of larger films, and she was um, she had more of a name with the grants. So once she came on board, and she loved the project right away, which is great, you know, because yeah. when you meet you meet tons of producers and they seem interested, but she was genuinely like moved by the pitch and she called us the next day and said like i need to be a part of this and it was such great energy yeah Yeah. so once we had her on board so we had her on board in august we applied in august we didn't get it but they highly recommended that we reapply in january which we did and then we got the money so really it happened all very quickly so a year from when we pitched we pretty much were in pre-production or soft prep i should say yeah. So it yeah. was nuts. It, it, it went quickly. Yeah. yeah. But we were prepared. Like I had been doing visual research for a very long time, preparing a lookbook. So I really knew what I wanted it to look like. So when it, when we got the green light, I was ready with what I wanted. So that would be a good piece of advice is really, really to do research I mean, it can be dis- disheartening to do so much work if your project doesn't get greenlit, but it, you're never, it, you never lose by doing research because the research you do for one project might not be worth, you know, useful for that one. But it all and I'm wondering, like, as, a, as you know, a, a, an art department person, did that help you sort of with like, I have a great ability to put together or just joy in putting together the visual plan? Yeah, you know? I have to say, yeah, the... 
And Patricia, this was Patricia's first job, maybe three. Um, I got to work with Nigel Phelps, the great inimitable Nigel Phelps, who he didn't teach me because he wasn't, I wasn't there to learn from him. But unbeknownst to myself, I learned a lot. But just observing how he did research and the like depth of research and how he got excited over a reference and how this reference would then inform his whole concept, it really taught me, you know, how to do not how to do research because it's not brain surgery. You just look at stuff. But the fact that you have to look at a lot of stuff and that mm. you'll find something that really catches your eye and you sort of follow it down the rabbit hole. And then eventually that will inform the film without your intellect working. It's really an intuitive process. And he was extremely intuitive, Nigel Phelps. So he just watching him work sort of showed me that it's possible to use an intuitive process to design your film rather than the being logical about it and letting the, the intuition of of just hours of research guide you and how something inside will be guiding you like the project itself guides you so you have to really listen to the project and, and listen to what it wants and after you gathered all this research, you'll, I saw patterns emerge and I was like, oh, okay, so it's about that, you know, mm. without having to be intellectual about it. So I, I really learned that from him. And as far as like the, the constraints you had on a project like this, it's got gore and it's got violence and it's got visual effects. Was it hard to conceive of how to pull it all off or did you always have a plan? Like we're going to be able to do this in X budget I mean, were there some, what was the process of compromises? This is an ongoing study for me. And, and I think for our audience, it's just like, you know, compromise is, part, is the name of the game. But how do you know what you can't compromise? Yeah, I think Elsa's very good at that, you know, and I think that's where when we work as producer and director, I know when she gives me a firm no that I can't touch that. But she's very open to other things. So we have a very good rapport of things that can change and things that are absolutely essential. And so I really trust Elsa to know that. And, you know, let's be honest, when we were writing Slacks, we weren't even thinking, how are we going to animate jeans? Like, right. you know, whatever. That was like not our problem. And so uh, when we it's got It's a great way money, to write though, right? It's a great yeah, way it's to a fantastic write. Way. You have to. You have to write You like have that. to. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's not Elsa or I that figured it out. We just kind of hired the right people. And that's that's the beauty about filmmaker. Like when you make a film, it's all about collaboration. So we mm -hmm. got like a great VFX team, a great special effects team, a great puppeteer really who just blew us away. And we, <laughs> a gene puppeteer. A gene puppeteer basically. And the three of them just kind of worked together with, with Elsa's input and they created Slacks, which was amazing. The jeans give a really, I mean, I like performances, puppeteering performances. I feel like the jeans give a really good performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The they have so much character. <laughs> she was great. I mean, she's a professional puppeteer. This woman had been puppeteering for like 20 years or something. And she really approached it from an <laughs> acting perspective, and which is what right. I wanted, because I wanted it to be a female puppeteer. And Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it's a female, right? Slack. Yeah. When you see the movie, you'll understand. Sometimes the men did some of the stunts, or she wasn't available or something for the more basic sort of maneuvering. But whenever it was an emotional 
performance. <laughs> she was the one who did it. Like everything that was like the close-up of the jeans, you know, like the face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she, she did it. And it was, you know, it was crazy. It was hard. Sometimes on the day I was like, you're, I, so you're supposed to look that way and be mad about it. And she was like, okay. And she would try a few things and then I'd be like, yes, or no, that still doesn't work. So it's really hard to explain <laughs> what a mad gene has to look like. You, you guys know? had to find it together. Like, yes. how, what is a gene's personality? Yeah, if it's a human being, sort of. Um, I, I think that there's, there's so many more production questions I could ask, but I'm kind of because we're we're now, you you've hinted at it. There's a lot of subtext. Like, it's barely even subtext. There's so much going on here <laughs> that, like, you think on the surface, you're like, oh, it was a joke. It slacks. It's killer pants. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah. How, how is that like, does, does that fall into the deal breaker as far as, like, what you'd compromise on? And tell me about the intention. You know, like, it's more, it's not just horror. There's No. And, and is horror ever just horror? I mean, you guys seem like you're probably horror buffs to some extent in that way. Yeah. Well, the first couple of drafts was not were not really a, a social commentary. They were just it was really just like it's a it's a movie by Killer Pants. But Patricia had worked at the Gap, and so the second draft <laughs> was in the store. Sadly, that's the horror film. Okay, <laughs> but but that but is right. That's truly yeah. that is the horror film, right? That's the real yes. horror film. Yes. <laughs> oh, it is. Yes, <laughs> but it it wasn't like the whole film was about that and then when we started to do the rewrites um i've always hated corporate anything you know ever since i was really young i i realized how evil corporations were and they just were there to make you buy you stuff and so i did research when we did the rewrite and i fell on a documentary called the true cost about about fast fashion and it really informed the rewrite like i saw it and it made me so mad i went like racing out the door and like a lot of the ideas came out like the the um, influencer i had never heard of influencers that character came out of that film like yeah a, a lot of the the details and then i knew I, I was like this is what it's about it's about fast fashion finally finally the film was like had been waiting for us to to understand what it was about and it and that's what it was and to me that's what that's why we got the money from the grants yeah. because it was about fast fashion and not just about killer pants Right. Right. You can't like people will people think like that you can sell, you know, or maybe you can. I'm sure you can. Like you could just sell like killer pants. That's it. But there's so much there. And you had to discover that for there to be a draft that you could really like push with voice, you know, like and and I love that the way you tell it, something got to you that you were like, I have to express this. I have to put this in the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as soon as that decision was made, it just kind of came out so quickly. And 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 the truth of the matter is, is yes, I mean, the idea of fast fashion, it it kills it kills so many things. It kills people abroad, but it's also kind of killing us as well here, you know, like our souls and the employees that work for these companies. And we wanted to get that across as well, is Mm -hmm. that the company itself is the real villain, actually, right? Not the genes, but the company itself. And it uses Everyone. It uses the customers. It uses its employees, and it uses I hope the genes. Yeah, and it uses <laughs> yeah. the genes. It kind of so everyone's kind of a victim to these huge corporations. 
in their own way, I guess, but mm-hmm. we're all victims, right? I mean, even in the ideas of like standards of beauty, right? Yeah. And all of yeah. that stuff exactly. becomes yeah. a part of it too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's ruined so many, not ruined, but that's affected so many people, men and mm-hmm. women, where they see, they don't see themselves represented and they think they're lacking. And so if they have a gap inside, and so what do they do? They fill it with stuff, hoping that this cream or these pants will make them finally fit the standard of beauty, but it's never attainable. And then you grow old and then you think you're ugly because you're old and then you buy hair dye and it's like never (laughs) ending. You just have to accept yourself for how you are and make abstraction of the fact that these industries are just there to make you feel insecure. So you'll buy their shit, you know, Mm. it's really that simple. Because it's all about profits at the end and, you know, working at Gap and I'm sure all, all big retail stores are like this, like we would start our day off where they would be like, this is how much we made last year on this day and we need to make more. So wow. this is our projected, you know, amount that we need to make this day. We had that meeting every morning at Gap. Yeah. And it's crazy. And and that's literally like, it's just a numbers game to them and they don't care about anything else in between. So, yeah. I mean, I love that that slacks really kind of deals with that idea of these companies that try to pretend like they're really socially interested and they really <laughs> care about diversity when we all know that's not true. And that's a huge part of like the CCC company that, that we created in slacks is we wanted to really make a company like we all see where they pretend they care, but, but, but we know they don't. Well, they care. Yeah. They care to the extent that it's going to help them sell something because now mm-hmm. caring is part of your marketing, like right, caring yeah. in like, like agendas or whatever they are, they become a part of the marketing plan. It's yeah. not like corporations don't have ideologies. Like they're not a thinking entity. They're, well, they do. They, they right. make profits. <laughs> right. Yeah. They have that ideology, but they don't yeah. have one that aligns with like causes. The causes are just like, could this be another way? To yeah. make people like us, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and I think that it's funny because my sister worked at a, an Abercrombie and Fitch for a while. Or no, 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 sorry, it was a uh, anthropology. And I remember her telling me, and I always thought it was so funny that there was like they talked about there was a prospective buyer that they called her, and they would always train the employees of like she likes this or she likes that. Like they would talk about this uh, imaginary person uh, who okay. they're going to come in and sell stuff to. And I thought about it a lot in Slack. So it was like they've created a person who doesn't exist, but who's like a mark, basically. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I thought you guys would like that or be grossed oh. out by it. <laughs> oh, yes. It's crazy. It's but yes, I totally see that happening all the time. Yeah, that's crazy. It's just like a, a gap. They're like, heaven forbid, you didn't. Tell them about the sock promotion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and, and, and you know that you had your managers that were always overhearing you. And that's the thing too, you, what, what I realized in Gap is that like, no one was happy. The employees weren't happy, happy. The managers weren't happy. The regional managers weren't happy. And we're all just puppets in this, to this company, you know? And, and I think when you watch the film and you see the character of Craig, who's the manager, who's really like an amalgamation of a bunch of different managers that had a gap, you you kind of have to feel sorry for him because he's mm. being used as well by this yeah. company. Yeah. And he's, yeah. And I, and I hope that comes through. You know, I feel like Craig's one of my favorite characters in Slacks because I remember seeing that so much in a lot of my managers where they tried so hard, but, but they were never really happy and they were always insecure. It was just this weird thing that I always saw in all the managers I had a gap. 
actually quite sad. Yeah, I think no, about it's it. a yeah. tough place to be because yeah. you're answering to a force that demands certain things and you have to be the bad guy to people who, you know, you're just, you're stuck either way. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Actually, it's kind of, sometimes I feel like it's like being a line producer. It was something I was for a lot. It was, it was like, nobody likes you. The people above oh. you like you. <laughs> but anyway, or an AD. ADs also kind of fall into that weird managerial, like, what are you guys, like, wrapping up? Like, what is the next, what is your next thing? And, you know, this is obviously was like a big debut in a lot of ways. Slam dance, right? And, like, and distribution, and so what are you, like, are you ready with something else? Do you have something, another joke from a car drive 15 years ago? <laughs> we, well, we have several things. So the one thing, actually, you tell it, Patricia, the Sweet Blood, the infamous Italian project. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's tons of things that, that we're doing. I mean, the, the, the two main things, I guess, right now is, yes, yeah, Sweet Blood was, is a story about a vampire who leaves his vampire clan to try to procreate with humans because his clan is, they can't reproduce anymore. And so mm-hmm. he's trying to find a cure for his vampire clan by going out into the human world. And of course it gets messy. He ends up ha- having a wife and he, and he manages to get her pregnant. And, but of course the clan comes to try to claim him back. And so there's a lot of blood and gore there that happens. So we have that as a TV series and we're very excited about that. It really kind of explores this idea of what it is to be an immigrant hmm. and how immigrants, do you ever really know what, what home is, right? I'm, I'm from Chile, but I lived extensively in the States and now I live in Canada. And do I ever feel at home in any place? I'm not sure, you know? Yeah. And so it kind of deals with with those issues, which I think are it's it's very timely for a lot of people, you know. And, and you don't Certainly. even need to be an, an immigrant per se to kind of try to find your home. Like, where is home? Is kind of the question of that TV series. So we're pretty excited about that. And there's a whole like scientific element about it. I'm not going to bore you, but of course, me being a science geek, you know, they're they're a, a certain kind of vampire, and and there's all this like biology and how hard it is to procreate. So all that kind of good stuff. So that's really cool. And then we have some other things that we've just started to think about. We have a poltergeist idea that we're hoping to work on. And then kind of like a nature revenge movie that takes place in the Middle Ages that we just started to work on and we've had to put aside because we just got a little busy. And then Elsa, why don't you talk about the French uh, project that we have? Yeah. You guys have a lot going on. I, I guess that's good advice to anybody <laughs> yeah. out there is to like, not just because you got something and out there is to be like, what's next? Everybody always asks, right? Yeah. And oh, you yeah. never know what's going to work. Right. Right. Well, I, uh, a friend of mine from France who, who is an, uh, an immigrant and who has emigrated to Canada, but a long time ago, he, a friend of his mother's told him a haunted house story. And so when he told me, I was like, Ooh, that sounds great. So it's a film based on a real or inspired by a real idea. And then we sort of morphed into being a, a midlife crisis possession film with a, a woman in her fifties as the main character who's, who's dying. And uh, she, when she learns that her house is haunted by a ghost who knows how to reincarnate or incarnate people, she thinks it might have the key to eternal life, but of course, uh, shenanigans ensue when she learns <laughs> if she's going to live, someone else has to die. So it's a little bit of a of a 
I don't know, I would say a dark possession yeah. psychological drama. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciate you guys being on. Um, and I'm excited. It sounds like you have a lot of other stuff you're doing and uh, we'll be excited to to see and hear more about it. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's always great it's to fun. talk about, you know, filmmaking and slacks. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Oh yeah, of course. And come back when come back the next time something's out. <laughs> 